0: As we approach the evening of this year and look forward to the dawn of the next, we, at no way, want to thank all of our listeners. It's perhaps poetic that I sit in as a host for this show, having been the host of a first reboot with new contributors. Today, keeping in the spirit of the Christmas and the New Year, I thought it would be fit for us to start our own tradition. We'd like to read a very well-known story from the countries on the show. We start today with France and we'll read Guy de The Necklace. I have with me Mathilde and Stella.
1: The Necklace by Guy de Maupassant
0: She was one of those pretty and charming girls, who was sometimes, as if by a mystic of destiny, born in a family of clerks. She had no dowry, no expectations, no means of being known, understood, loved, wedded by any rich and distinguished man. And she let herself be married to a little clerk at the Ministry of Public Instruction she dressed plainly because she could not dress well but she was as unhappy as though she had really fallen from a proper station since with women there is neither caste nor rank and beauty grace and charm act instead of family and birth natural fineness instinct for what is elegant suppleness of wit are the sole hierarchy and make from women of the people equals to the very greatest ladies she suffered ceaselessly feeling herself born for all the delicacies and all the luxuries. She suffered from the poverty of her dwelling, from the wretched look of the walls, from the worn-out chairs, from the ugliness of the curtains. All those things, of which another woman of her rank would never even have been conscious, tortured her and made her angry. The sight of the little Breton peasant, who did her humble housework, aroused in her regrets which were despairing and distracted dreams. She thought of all the silent antechambers hung with oriental tapestry, lit by tall bronze candelabra, and of the two great footmen in knee breeches who sleep in the big armchairs, made drowsy by the heavy warmth of the hot air stuff. She thought of long salons fatted up with ancient silk, of the delicate furniture carrying priceless curiosities, and of the coquettish perfumed boudoirs made for the talks at five o'clock with intimate friends with men famous and sought after, whom all women envy and whose attention they all desire. When she sat down to dinner, before the round table covered with the tablecloth three days old, opposite a husband, who uncovered the soup tureen and declared with enchanted air, Ah, the good old pot of feu I don't know anything better than that. She thought of dainty dinners of shining silverware of tapestry which peopled the walls with ancient personages and strange birds flying in the midst of a fiery forest. She thought of the delicious dishes served on marvellous plates and of the whispered gallantries which she listened to with a sphinx-like smile while you're eating the pink flesh of a trout, the wings of a quail. She had no dresses, no jewels, nothing, and she loved nothing but that. She felt made for that. She would have so liked to please, to be envied, to be charming, to be sought after. She had a friend, a former schoolmate at the convent, who was rich and whom she did not like to go and see any more because she suffered so much when she came back. But one evening, her husband returned with a triumphant air and holding a large envelope in his hand. There, said he, here's something for you. She tore the paper sharply and drew out a printed card which bore these words. The Minister of Public Instruction and Mademoiselle Georges ramponu request the honour of Madame and Mademoiselle Loisel's company at the Palace of Ministry on Monday evening, January 18th. Instead of being delighted, as her husband hoped, instead of being delighted, as her husband hoped, she threw the invitation on the table with disdain, murmuring, what do you want me to do with that? But my dear, I thought you would be glad. You never go out, and this is such a fine opportunity. Had awful trouble to get to it. Everyone wants to go. It's very select. They're not giving out many invitations to clerks. The whole official world will be there. She looked at him with an irritated eye and she said, Impatiently, and what do you want me to put on my back? He had not thought of that, he stammered. Why, the, the dress you go to the theatre in. It, it looks very well to me. He stopped, distracted, seeing that his wife was crying. Two great tears descended slowly from the corners of her eyes towards the corners of her mouth, and he stuttered, w- w- What's the matter? But by a violent effort, she had conquered a grief and she replied with a calm voice while she wiped her wet cheeks. Nothing, only I have no dress, and therefore I can't go to this ball. Give your card to some colleague whose wife is better equipped than I. He was in despair. He resumed. Come, let's see, Mathilde. How much would it cost, a suitable dress, which you could use on other occasions? Something very simple. She reflected several seconds making her calculations and wondering also what sum she could ask without drawing on herself an immediate refusal and a frightened exclamation from the economical clerk. Finally, she replied, hesitatingly, I don't know exactly, but I think I I could manage it with 400 francs. He had grown a little pale because he was laying aside just that amount to buy a gun and treat himself to a little shooting next summer on the plain of Nanterre, with several friends who went to shoot larks down there on a Sunday. But, he said, All right, I will give you four hundred francs, and try to have a pretty dress. The day of the ball grew near, and Mademoiselle Loisel seemed sad and easy, anxious. Her dress was ready, however. Her husband said to her one evening, What is the matter? Come, you've been so queer these last three days. And she answered, It annoys me not to have a single jewel, not a single stone, nothing to put on. I shall look like distress, I should almost rather not go at all. He resumed. You might wear natural flowers. It's very stylish at this time of the year. For ten francs, you can get two or three magnificent roses. She was not convinced. No, there's nothing more humiliating than to look poor among the women who are rich. But husband cried. How stupid are you? Go and look at your friend Forestier and ask her to lend you some jewels. You're quite thick enough with her to do that. She uttered a cry of joy. It's true, I've never thought of it. The next day, she went to her friend and told her of her distress. Her friend went to a wardrobe with a glass door, took out a large jewel box, brought it back, opened it and said, choose my dear.
2: Choose my dear. She saw first of all some bracelets, then a pearl necklace, then a Venetian cross, gold and precious stones of admiral workmanship. She tried on the ornaments before the glass hesitated, could not make up her mind to part with them, to give them back. She kept asking, haven't you any more? Why, yes, look, I don't know what you like. All of a sudden she discovered in a black satin box a superb necklace of diamonds and her heart began to beat with an immoderate desire. Her hands trembled as she took it. She fastened around her throat, outside her high-necked dress and remained lost in ecstasy as the sight of herself. Then she asked, hesitating, filled with anguish, Can you lend me that, only that? Why, yes, certainly. She sprang upon the neck of her friend, kissed her passionately and then fled with her treasure. The day of the ball arrived. Madame Luzel made a great success and she was prettier than them all, elegant, gracious, smiling and crazy with joy. All the men looked at her and asked her name, endeavored to be introduced. All the attached of the cabinet went to walls with her. She was remarked by the minister himself. She danced with intoxication, with passion, made drunk by pleasure, forgetting all in the triumph of her beauty, in the glory of her success, in a sort of cloud of happiness composed of all this homage, of all this admiration, of all these awakened desires, and of that sense of complete victory, which is so sweet to women's heart. She went away about four o'clock in the morning. Her husband had been sleeping since midnight in a little deserted anteroom with three other gentlemen whose wives were having a very good time. He threw over her shoulders the wraps which she had brought modest wraps of common life, whose poverty contrasted with the elegance of the ball dress. She felt this and wanted to escape so as not to be remarked by the other women who were enveloping themselves in costly force. Luzelle held her back. Wait a bit. You will catch cold outside. I will go and call a cab. But she did not listen to him and rapidly descended the stairs. When they were in the street, they did not find a carriage, and they began to look for one, shouting after the cabman, whom they saw passing by at distance. They went down toward the scene, in despair, shivering with cold. At last they found on the quay one of those ancient Noctchamberland coupes, which exactly as if they were ashamed to show their misery during the day are never seen round Paris until after nightfall. It took them to their door in the Rue de Mortier and once more, sadly, they climbed up homeward. All was ended for her. And as to him, he reflected that he must be at the ministry at 10 o'clock. She removed the wraps, which covered her shoulders before the glass, so as once more to see herself in all her glory. But suddenly she uttered a cry. She had no longer the necklace around her neck. Her husband, already half undressed, demanded, what is the matter with you? She turned madly toward him. I have, I have, I have lost Madame Forster's necklace. He stood up, distracted. What? How? Impossible. And they looked in the folds of her dress and the folds of her cloak in her pockets everywhere. They did not find it. He asked, you're sure you had it on when you left the ball? Yes, I felt it in the vestibule of the palace. But if you have lost it in the street, we should have heard it fall. It must be in the cab. Yes, probably. Did you take his number? No. And you? Didn't you notice it? No. They looked thunderstruck at one another. At last Giselle put on his clothes. I shall go back on foot, said he, over the whole route which we have taken, so I can so to see if I can find it. And he went out. She sat waiting on the chair in her ball dress, without strength to go to bed, overwhelmed, without fire, without a sword. Her husband came back about seven o'clock. He had found nothing. He went to police headquarters, to the newspaper's office to offer a reward. He went to the cab companies, everywhere, in fact, whether he was urged by the last suspicion of hope. She waited all day in the same condition of mad fear before this terrible calamity. Luizel returned at night with a hollow, pale pale face. He had discovered nothing. You must write to your friend, he said, that you have broken the caps, claps of her necklace and that you are having it mended. That will give us time to turn around. She wrote at his dictation. At the end of the week, they had all lost lost all hope. And Luizel, who had aged five years, declared, we must consider how to replace the ornament. The next day they took the box which had contained it, and they went to the jeweller, whose name was found within. He consulted his books. It was not I, madam, who sold the necklace. I must simply have furnished the case.
1: Then they went from jeweller to jeweller, sectioned for the necklace like the other, consulting their memories, sick of both of them, with chagrin and anguish. They found in a shop at the Poly Royal a string of diamonds, which seemed to them exactly like the one they looked for it was worth 40,000 francs. They could have it for 36. So they begged the jeweler not to sell it for three days yet. And they made it a bargain that he should buy it for 34,000 francs in case they would find the other one before the end of February. Loisel possessed 18,000 francs which his father had left him. He would borrow the rest. He did borrow asking the thousand francs of one, five hundred of another, five louis here, three louis there. He gave notes, took up ruinous obligations, dealt with usurers, and all the race of Flanders. He compromised all the rest of his life, risked his signature without even knowing if he could meet it, and, frightened by the pains yet to come, by the back misery which was about to fall upon him, by the prospect of all the physical privation and all of the moral tortures which he was to suffer, he went to get the necklace, putting down upon the merchant's counter 36,000 francs. When Man- mademoiselle took back the necklace, madame Forestier said to her with a chilly manner, you should have ordered it sooner, I might have needed it. She did not open the case, as her friend had so much feared. If she had detected the substitution, what would she have thought, what would she have said? Would she not have taken mademoiselle for a thief? Mademoiselle now knew the horrible existence of the needy. She took her part, moreover, all uncertain, with heroism. That dreadful debt must be paid. She would pay it. They dismissed the servant... They changed the lodgings, they rented a garret under the roof. She came to know that what was heavy housework meant and the odious cares of the kitchen. She washed the dish, used her rusty nails and greasy pots and pans. She washed the dirty linen, the shirts and the dishcloth, which she dried upon a line. She carried the slop down the street every morning and carried up the water, stopped for breath at every landing. And dressed like the woman of the people, she went to go to the fritter, the grocer, the butcher, had basket on her arm, bargaining, insulted, defending her miserable money sou by sou. Each month, they had to meet some notes, renew other, obtain more time. Her husband worked in the evening, making a fair copy of some tradesman account, and late at night he often copied manuscript for four, five sous a page. And this life lasted ten years. At the end of the ten years, they had paid everything, everything, with the rates of usury and the accumulation of the compound interests. Madame Loiselle looked old now. She had become the woman of improvised, improvised households, strong and hard and rough. With frosty hair, skirts askew, red-hand, she talked loud while washing the floors with the rich she wishes of water. But sometimes, with her husband was, was at the office, she sat down near the window, and she thought of the gay evening of long ago, of what bold where she were, had then been so beautiful and so fettered. What would have happened if she had not lost the necklace? Who knows? Who knows? How life is strange and changeful! How little a thing is needed for us to be lost or to be safe. But one Sunday, having gone to take a walk in the Champs-Elysees to refresh herself from the labours of the week, she suddenly perceived a woman who was leading a child. It was Madame Forestier, still young, still beautiful, still charming. Madame Loisel felt moved. Was she going to speak to her? Yes, certainly. And now that she had paid, she was going to tell her all about it. Why not? She went up. Good day, Jeanne. The other, astonished to be familiarly addressed by this plain good wife, did not recognize her at all and stammered. But, madame, I do not know. You must have mistaken. No, I am Mathilde Her friend, Eutolica, cried. Oh, my poor Mathilde! Wow, how how are you changed? Yes, I have had hard days enough since I have seen you, days rich enough, and that's because of you. Of me? How so? Do you remember that diamond necklace which she lent me to wear at the ministerial ball? Yes. Well? Well, I lost it. <laughs> what do you mean? You brought it back. I brought you back another just like it. And for this we have been ten years paying. You can understand that it was not easy for us, us who had nothing. At last it ended, and I am very glad. Madame Forestier has stopped. You say that you bought a necklace of diamonds to replace mine? (laughs) Yes, you never noticed it, then. They were very like. And she smiled with a joy which was proud of naive at once. Madame Forestier, strongly moved, took her to hands. Oh, my poor Majilde! Why, my necklace was paste! It was worth at most 500 francs! The end.
0: Thank you, Mathilde, for that. You have a recipe uh, you want to share with us, or you have a you have a dessert that you want to share with us?
1: Uh, well, yeah. So today's theme is about France, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, and since th- Christmas is incoming, we thought that we could share a bit of tradition of Christmas in here uh, in, in France, because we already talked about how is it in here in Bergen. And so I thought about my region, which is uh, again <laughs> particular and uh, actually famous for the Christmas markets and everything. And uh, th- so I thought about how explaining uh, what did, what's the big deal with the bradelle is. So maybe you have heard of that seller before? No, sorry, never <laughs> heard of that.
0: Can you can you say that again?
1: Bradelle. Okay. There there is different pronunciation actually if you north from Elsa South. It's like Bradala, Bradala, bredala or whatever. Just like you switch an E and an A and you can s- just like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And so um um so yeah. Uh we just read this story from the person which has a bit uh I remember reading in tenth <laughs> grade, which was a bit Moving because I'm like, ah, oh, why did she do that? So, funnily
0: enough, I had to uh, read this story in my school as well, and I learned it during my ninth grade. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So um, but the thing is that she also has the same name as me. So I just hope that I never do something like that. <laughs> so yeah, Um I remember as a child, uh, like it's like this really huge, huge tradition. And uh, ever since I can remember, my family always had done some of them. And not only my family, but also all the people I was around, like, who are native from this region, and, like, all the people. Uh, So the thing is that it starts on the 1st of December, usually. Like, it's kind of the beginning, like, the start of a race of the season. And um, it's the beginning every day, or almost, like, each day, you go through and you actually buy Kilos and kilos of sugar and, and flour and of all these other things that requires uh, that are required to make breadela, and uh, you begin like every day you make hundred and hundred of little this of these biscuits. So yeah, sorry, I should begin with what is a breadela because it, I, I speak of it like it's obvious, but maybe it's not to you. It, it isn't. Sorry, I should have begun by that. Well, let's begin by that. Uh, what is a breadela? It's a little cookie. Basically, um, the the thing is that it's a general generic term.
0: Is it like is it like macaroon?
1: There can be because the thing is that it's uh, yeah a, a generic names for Christmas biscuits. So there can be like there is hundreds sort of of by the like there is entire books of cooks of different of these little biscuits. There is one with uh, I don't know. Um, uh, citron, lemon, and and oranges, but there is other with chocolate and butter, and there is other with uh, cocoa or whatever. Like it's a huge, huge amount of different varieties of little cookies, and so yeah. Uh, on the first of December, there's the beginning of the race to make uh, what seems like to me uh, the most brittle of of possible. Maybe there's a competition between uh, the, uh, the 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 neighbors like the rivalry I, I really don't know what pushes them to make so much cookies it's i remember being a child and seeing literally towers of metal boxes in which they store the the cookies being bigger than me and it's really it's really insane you have to be there to realize it but if you go to the really uh, um inkled the, in the culture, in the region. It's rather the old people to do that, to be honest, but still, like the grandmas and everything. It's hundreds and hundreds of biscuits. And yeah, every day and every week you have, l- I re- even so people making a planning. So, okay, this week, we're going to be uh, make this one, this one, this one, and this one. Next week, this one, this one, this one. And then what happened today, because they cannot eat it, uh, eat all of them, they actually distribute it as a gift for Christmas to all their friends and family. So that's nice, but because then you receive a lot of uh, free cookies, which I really, really enjoy, because they're often very delicious. But, yeah, so that was the
2: tradition I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. I mean, I think we have something so uh, it's not called like this. We also have this very huge difference of Christmas cookies uh, Mm -hmm. everyone is is, is, uh, making, but we don't have a name like this for that. Mm -hmm. It's just Christmas cookies. And (laughs) it's not it's not just starting on the first of December. We already start sometimes earlier.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, thank you both for that. Uh, and uh, you will hear from me, uh, Varun, about uh, the sweets that we have uh, during in India during the festivals that we have. Like we said, we have started a tradition where I'm hosting, where we will talk about uh, or we will, we will narrate a short story by the authors from the country we are from. And then mm-hmm. we'll talk about uh, the festival and the sweets in that, in that country. So you will hear from, uh, from, from uh, Germany and mm-hmm. India and Norway in the next year's edition of No Way Podcast. This is the last uh, recorded episode, as I've said before, and we want to thank you all for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank uh, you very much. I appreciate
0: we hope you've enjoyed listening to us. Uh, there have been five of us. It's me, Varun. There's Mathilde here with me. Mm-hmm. And there's Stella here. Hello. Bastian and Sigrun are not here in the radio right now, but you've listened to their voices as well. And we hope you continue listening to us. And uh, once again, a very happy Christmas and a new year. And this is me, Varun, signing out. And you can also follow us on our um, social media pages.
2: Instagram, Facebook. Please uh, message us, follow us, like our pictures. We would be very glad.
0: We will also uh, post links when when this episode goes out. And once again, uh, happy holidays. Thank you.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye Bye-bye.